welcome. Great to see all of you today, whether it's on one of our campuses or online. We're grateful to have each of you. I want to quickly add my voice to the group link uh, announcement that you received on your campus today. And you've got a card in front of you, or maybe you're sitting on it today. And it's really important because group link is the easiest way across our campuses to get connected to community. And we want every single person in our church to be connected to biblical community. And for us, biblical community is a place where three things happen distinctively. Where we're stirred by the scriptures, where we struggle well with life together, and where we serve other people. And so those three S's, to, to, to be stirred by the scriptures, to struggle well, to serve others, happens best in the context of a group. And that's really discipleship. That's really what it means to grow. And we think that discipleship happens best. Our growth in Jesus happens best in the context of community. And that's why it's so important for every single person in our church, children, students, and adults, to be connected in a form of community. And Group Link is the easiest way for that to happen. So be sure to take this card today across all of our campuses, fill it out, and turn it in before you leave. Did you know, did you know that a Belgian draft horse is one of the world's most powerful horses. Did you know that? If you did, come up and, and shake my hand wherever you might be today. Uh, we we, we want to uh, communicate to you today that, that we are better together. Two churches coming together as one church, and this illustrates it so well, this, this Belgian draft horse story. Because a Belgian draft horse, the world's most powerful horse, can pull 8,000 pounds. 8,000 pounds on its own. And it gets even better. If there's two of them in a harness together, you would think that they could pull what? I'm going to do some public math here. You would think, you would think that if one Belgian draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds, then, then how much can two in a harness together pull together? You would think 16. But it's more than that. Two of them together, because of the synergy of them working together, being better together, can pull upwards of 20 to 24,000 pounds together, these two powerful horses. So upwards of three times. But, but it gets even better. Because that's based on the two horses not knowing each other. I guess horses can know each other and they have, they have horsey language. And if they know each other, right, if they know each other and they've worked together, then two Belgian draft horses pulling together who know each other and have worked together before can pull upwards of four times the amount as one on its own. Upwards of 30 to 32,000 pounds, two Belgian draft horses who know one another and are pulling together. And I think this is a perfect story and image of what God is busy doing in our two churches, Church at Charlotte and New Charlotte, bringing them together in one harness to pull together as one. And we just believe, we just believe that we are truly better together and that we can go further, faster with the gospel in our city and in our world when we're pulling together. But make no mistake, this is an only God story. This is an only God undertaking. And we talked about last week in this series that we're, we're praying and believing God for, for things that only he can do. And we want to pray those prayers. And actually, we created a card that many of you have in your Bibles or somewhere where you can see every day. And we're praying together as one church across all of our campuses, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. If you didn't get an Only God card last week, we have them at the exits, no matter what campus you're on today, where you can grab them and join us in this Only God prayer of God bringing two churches together to, to, to form one new church and to pull together for the gospel in our city and in our world. Let's pray together as we begin. God, thank you so much for this story that you're writing through our church. This only God story, something that only you can do. And we know that it will require us to trust you more and more. 
to lay down our own preferences and to, to pick up your purpose in our lives. We believe this morning together that nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. And so we want to be a praying church, a church that depends on you to work and to move in our hearts and in the heart of our church collectively. And so we pray that you would give us faith to believe you and trust you today. We pray specifically for wisdom and for unity. And we pray today that your word, your truth would speak to us fresh and anew and do what only it can do. Change us, encourage us, challenge us, and equip us. And we pray that together as one church in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your scriptures today, would you open them to 2 Timothy chapter 1? 2 Timothy chapter 1. And if you need a copy of the scriptures, slip your hand up. We'd be glad to give you one. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to look specifically at verses 8 through 14. So turn your Bibles on or open to 2 Timothy 1 verses 8 through 14. And let me read it to you today. Paul writes to Timothy here, and he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Verse 10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Listen to this, verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I pray that God would multiply his truth to your hearts today. What Paul is saying to Timothy here in so many words is that the mission matters most. So guard it above everything else in your life. Guard the good deposit was a, an ancient colloquialism that was used certainly in the first century and beyond to describe uh, keeping someone's prized possession, their treasured possession, keeping it safe and, and returning it as it was or, or better. It's really stewardship. It's taking care of what has been given to you. And parenthetically, that's what leadership, Christian leadership really is. It's all stewardship. It's stewarding the good gifts that God has given to each and every one of us. And what is the good deposit here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that Paul is describing to his son in the faith, Timothy? What's the good deposit that he's speaking of? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And he says, I want you to guard that above everything else, this new life that has been given to you through Jesus and that we have to share and give to other people. Oftentimes, I think you would agree with me, we think about our faith in God. We think about our, our trust in God, and rightly so. It is by grace through faith that we have a relationship with God through Jesus. 
But Paul here reverses that. And he says, it's not just about your faith and your trust in God. Look at the words here with me. God is doing what? God is entrusting you. God is trusting you with something. Specifically to, to guard this good deposit of the gospel in your hearts above everything else. What is the gospel? That through the person and the work of Jesus, that God has fully accomplished salvation for you and for me. That's the gospel. And Paul says, I want you to guard that mission. Guard that good deposit above every single thing else in your life. So God's placed this measure of trust in you and us as a church. And it's specifically for two things as the scriptures describe here in 2 Timothy 1. Verses 8 through 10, Paul says, you need to believe the gospel for yourself, Timothy. Remember and believe it every single moment of every single day. Verse 8, he says specifically, don't be ashamed about the story of Jesus. And don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join us in suffering for the sake of the gospel. Don't forget the gospel. I think, I think not forgetting the gospel, specifically in our lives, is not forgetting what it was like before we met Jesus. Do you remember today what your life was like before you met Jesus? For those of you who are Christ followers, do you remember what that felt like? Paul says, remember that. Hold on to that because it reminds you of the grace that's been given to you through Jesus. Never forget the gospel. And then he goes and gives a little mini sermon here in verses 9 and 10. Look at it with me. He says, believe the gospel for yourself. Don't be ashamed of Jesus or of me. And then he describes what the gospel really is. It's Jesus who saved us and did what else? Verse, verse 10 here. Called us to a holy calling, verse 9, excuse me, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Think about that, that God had you in mind before the ages began. And God was working out this work, this work of grace to bring you back to himself before you were even born. Paul says, now this has been manifested through Jesus who has, I love this, look at it with me here, who has abolished, verse 10, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through what? Through the gospel. I love that both salvation and discipleship, that is growth in Jesus, are included in remembering and believing the gospel. Some of us think about uh, the gospel in terms of something that we, we accepted or that we understood when we were in camp or when we were in college or a moment in time that the gospel brought us from death to life. And that's certainly true. For those of you who are Jesus followers, there was a moment that you crossed from death to life by your simple trust and belief in Jesus. And that's significant. But there's more. The gospel's not just for our conversion or salvation, but it's also for our discipleship and the working out of that holy calling that God has called us to. And both appear here in this passage in verse 9. God saved us and he did what? He called us to a holy calling. And so we see both discipleship and salvation included here. And this is right because the gospel does both. And we never get over the gospel. We never move beyond it. C.S. Lewis said it this way, the gospel is shallow enough for a baby to play in and deep enough for an elephant to swim in. We never plumb the depths all the way of understanding the gospel. 
and the riches of Christ that are ours now because of it. And some of you may say, well, I think I'm beyond that, but you're not. The gospel is simple. Everyone watch this. The gospel is simple, but it's not easy. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus said. That's a simple, simple word of truth, but that's not easy, is it? And every single day we have to believe the purity, the simple message of Jesus and continue to allow the gospel to to flow over us and change our hearts. To believe it for ourselves is what Paul is saying to Timothy. But it's not just that. Guarding the good deposit, the gospel that's been entrusted to us, isn't just about believing it for ourselves and remembering it, but it's also about bringing it to others. Look at the passage with me. In verses 11 through 14, there's a shift. So Paul says, don't be ashamed of Jesus or of me. Here's what the gospel really is. Continue to believe it and build your life on the truth of the gospel. But then something shifts here. And now it's about bringing that simple truth of the gospel to other people, to hear and to receive. Paul says, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. In other words, the gospel is the reason why I was appointed as a preacher and a teacher and apostle, all of which are about proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is and bringing that truth to other people. You cannot share, everyone watch this, you cannot share with others but what you do not possess yourself. If you do not believe the gospel for yourself, you cannot share it with others. And Paul says, I have believed. Look at at verse 12 with me. He says, for I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to guard that which has been entrusted to me. I know whom I have believed. I believe the gospel and now I'm bringing it to other people. If you were rescued from the icy waters of sin and death, then you cannot help but do what now? Go and rescue other people from the icy waters of sin and death that they're drowning in all around us today in our city and in our world. We've said it before, but it's worth saying again. There are over a million people just in our own city that do not have the new life of Jesus. And God has entrusted us the message of the new life that we can find in Christ to share and to bring to other people. Paul says, this is why I suffer. Look at verse 12 with me and circle that if you're able to or write it down on something that you're writing and taking notes with today. This is why I suffer. There is such a power in knowing why. These things are happening in my life. This is what Paul is saying. I'm suffering, I'm a prisoner. Uh, All of these things are going on in my life circumstantially, but I know why I'm here. I know why all of this is happening, and it's not just for me. There's a bigger purpose at work. I'm in, I'm, I've been entrusted with the gospel, and that is what drives me in my life. It is the why in my life. So I don't just work at Bank of America Uptown. I'm not just an educator. I'm not just a nurse. I don't just work in government. I'm not just in media or arts or whatever your field may be or whatever sphere of society you may occupy in. The reason why God has placed you there and gifted you and called you is for a bigger purpose. And Paul says, I know why. And it's because of the greater story of the gospel, knowing why is so powerful in your life. And by the way, just parenthetically, 
Most often, bringing the gospel to other people and sharing it with other people, if we do it in grace and in truth, oftentimes, from my experience, and I'm sure for many of you, as you've done that all across this city and world, as you've shared Jesus, oftentimes doing that in grace and humility and truth doesn't turn people off in and of itself. What turns people off is the way that we sometimes do that. Tim Keller said it this way, for most Christians, bringing the gospel to other people, evangelism, is this. It sounds a lot like this. I'm right, and you're wrong, and I'd love to tell you more about it. (laughs) Jesus never lowered his standards. Did Jesus ever lower his standards? Did Jesus ever fudge on the truth? Never. Jesus never lowered his standards. He never lowered his purposes, but he always met people where they were. He started at their level of commitment, but he never left them there, and he doesn't leave us there. He starts where we are, and he builds our lives. He calls us to something more. People sometimes ask me, when you preach, who do you preach to? Do you preach to believers or do you preach to unbelievers, people who don't believe in Jesus yet? And my answer is always the same. I preach to people. I preach to people because people need to hear the gospel, both believers and unbelievers. The answer is the same. It's Jesus. So Paul says, believe the gospel. Believe Jesus for yourself and remember, hold on to it. Preach the gospel to yourself every single day. And then bring the gospel to other people. This is why I live my life. It's why God has appointed me and you fill in the blank for yourself. It's why God has made you who you are to bring that truth to other people. So we're in a series called This Is Us as we build a foundation for our new church. So so what about us? How do we take this truth? The truth of of what God has entrusted us with, this this good deposit of the gospel to believe and to bring to other people. How do we apply it specifically to our new church? What about us? Well, our church and the church, capital C, must offer people something they cannot get anywhere else. People can go to all kinds of different places to have all kinds of things happen. They can go to other places to be entertained. The church has something to offer that no one else does, Jesus. And we must continue to lift up Jesus, high and lift it up so that people can see him. And we must know that we have something to offer people that nobody else can. Peter and John talked about this in Acts chapter 3 in their encounter with the beggar. Do you remember? The beggar looks and, and wants alms and Peter says, look at us. Look at us. Look me in the eye. Silver and gold we have not, but what we have, do you remember this? What we have we give to you, Jesus. And that needs to be the proclamation and the cry of our church. What we have we give to you and what we have is Jesus. But if we don't believe the gospel, we'll have nothing to bring to others. Beth Moore said about this passage in 2 Timothy 1, you won't effectively guard what you do not highly esteem. You will not effectively guard what you do not highly esteem. What Paul is saying to Timothy, I think you would agree with me, is keep the main thing the main thing. And that's not easy to do in this complex world. To keep the main thing the main thing. Keep Jesus the main thing. 
organizations, I think you would agree, organizations, companies, churches, families, and each of us as individuals all naturally over time move towards complexity. We can complicate things. And so keeping things simple and keeping the main thing the main thing is an active work that each of us has to participate in individually and collectively, specifically in our church. Keeping things simple and making the mission matter most is like walking up a down escalator. If you do nothing at all, more complexity will come into your life, into your organization. And so we have to work very hard to guard, to guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to us and keep it the main thing. Because if we're not careful, we'll begin to guard our way of doing things and not the mission. I know that would never happen in our church, but in some churches I've heard stories about how some people guard their way of doing things instead of the way and keeping the main thing the main thing. Just remember this, let's all remember it today, that when Jesus came and walked this earth, specifically it was religious people who most often missed him. The very thing that they should have been prepared for, Jesus, because I think we would all agree that all the scriptures, right, pointed to Jesus and were preparing people for Jesus. And when he was here in flesh, it was oftentimes the religious people who should have been prepared the most to see him and understand him that missed him. And more often it was because they were guarding what? Their way. And he was a threat to their establishment. Let's not let that be true of us. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. And remember that we have something to offer people that nobody else does, Jesus. And that's all we have to offer. But then secondly, how does this apply to us? What about us? Our missional purpose, listen to this, our missional purpose must come before our personal preferences. Let me foot stomp that. Our missional purpose must come before our personal preferences. Let me say it a different way. Purpose over preference. Purpose must come before preference, to guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to us. Plans, programs, personalities, and even us pastors don't last. But God's purposes will last forever. Listen to what Solomon said in Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. There are some things that we need to be absolutely closed-fisted with in our new church. With the gospel and the essentials of truth and what we believe, we need to be dogged about them and hold on to them, never opening our hands and holding on to them, never changing them. But there are many things that we need to be open-handed with, the forms that those take, the programs and the ministries that we have, being willing to shape and mold those to make sure that the gospel is going forth in the most effective way. So let's not confuse what we need to be closed-fisted with and what we need to be open-handed with. Because sometimes that can happen and things get really funky in our lives when that happens. The majority of our church today is watching this sermon via live stream. And we're committed to that happening across all of our campuses, not only live teaching, but team teaching, other talented preachers here, and also uh, live streaming. And all of it is tools. It's all tools in a toolbox to make sure that the gospel, the main thing, is going forth. Let, let, me, let me give an example, because the Bible oftentimes gives a lot of functions, but it doesn't give as many forms. 
The Bible gives a lot of functions, but it doesn't give as many forms. Let me give, let me give an example. For those of you who grew up in the church and you celebrated the Lord's table, communion, you probably celebrate it different ways than, than other people who, who, who grew up in the church. Some of you grew up celebrating the Lord's table by coming to a common cup, and all of you drank out of the same cup. Some of you, uh, you practice intinction, and you dip the bread into the cup, or you, and some of you remember dropping the bread in the cup or spilling it. Uh, some of you had the plas- you know, plastic cups and the trays that you passed, and, and pre-cut wafers, okay? There are all kinds of different ways to celebrate communion. Some of you celebrated communion in the Lord's table every single week. Every time you were together in your church experience, you celebrated communion. Some of you did it once a month. Some of you did it once uh, a season. Some of you did it once a year. The Bible doesn't give specific ways and say it has to be a wafer. It has to be this size. It has to be whatever. You have to have the plastic cups. Everybody has to have it. No. Jesus just says, remember and do this. Celebrate this and remember my sacrifice. Sharing the Lord's table together. So that's the function. We're meant to celebrate communion in the Lord's table. But how we do that, how often, what exactly it looks like, there's a lot of freedom in that. And let's not confuse the two. We can play that over and over again. Some of you, when you were baptized, you were sprinkled. Some of you were dunked all the way under. The Bible isn't explicitly clear about about exactly how that's supposed to be done. There's multiple forms, but we know that we're meant to follow Jesus in baptism. We know the function of what's meant to happen. Again, the Bible gives a lot of functions, but it doesn't give as many forms. So hold on to the functions, hold on to the purpose, and hold loosely to the forms. The Moravians actually help us here, and their motto of in essentials unity, have you heard this? And non-essentials liberty, and in all things love. In essentials unity, and non-essentials liberty, and in all things love. Because if we're not careful, the model or the activities, the forms of the church, can become the mission of the church. Andy Stanley said it this way, ministry models that no longer facilitate the mission of a church oftentimes become the mission of the church. The forms are elevated to the function. And here's the wonderful thing. As a unified church together, we have a clear purpose to be a community of Christ followers, bringing gospel renewal to our city and to our world. It's straight from the scriptures. Our purpose is clear. And so now we need to work hard to make sure that every single thing we're doing as a church across all of our campuses is accomplishing the purpose. The forms will change. The tools will change. They will. Over time and out of necessity, they will. But the function stays the same. The purpose stays the same. Now let's be honest. All of us have preferences today. Let's just be honest about it. And those preferences aren't necessarily good or bad, sort of like feelings. Feelings aren't necessarily good or bad in and of themselves. They just are. We have preferences. But if we're not able to check them ourselves and self-identify them as preferences and not the purpose, then we can get in trouble. And we begin to elevate our way into the way. And if someone else doesn't see it the same way that we do, then we get offended. Again, not that that would ever happen in our church, but I've heard stories about how this has happened in other churches. This marks 20 years for me, this year does, marks 20 years for me in local church ministry. And I haven't learned everything, but I've learned some things. And one of those things is that oftentimes we take our forms and we elevate them. That's our natural inclination. If we're not careful, if we don't work hard at elevating the purpose. And then we get offended. 
And here's the deal. You don't have time to be offended if you're going to live on mission. You can either live offended or you can live on mission. Over time, if you live with an offense and you're just an offended person, it's very difficult to live on mission. And we don't have time as a church to be offended. The mission is too important. The purpose of Jesus is too important. And a watching world looks inside the church and says, I can get enough arguing out here. I can get divisiveness out here. I can get ugliness and mean-spiritedness out here. Why would I want to come into a church that's doing that to one another? Many people today in our culture, in our society, in our city, and also our world are saying yes to spiritual things. They're very open to spiritual things. And they're saying, I'm interested to the message of Jesus. But they're saying no to the church. In fact, let me share with you a couple of staggering statistics that were produced by Lifeway several years ago, but they still stand true. In the next seven years, 55,000 churches will close in the United States. 55,000 churches will close their doors in the United States in the next seven years. Only 20% of churches in the United States are growing. One in five churches in the United States are actually growing, adding people to their numbers. And 1% of those that are growing only comes from unreached people. Let me say that again. 20% of churches in the United States are growing. And of those, only 1% of that growth comes from lost people. Ninety percent of Christians in the United States have never shared their faith with anyone outside of their family. Guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you, Timothy. Believe it for yourself and bring it to others. Seventeen percent of Americans will attend church this weekend. In seven years, that number will drop to 14%. In closing, let me be plain and clear. We and you have an enemy. An enemy that hates every single thing that we are about as a church. An enemy that knows that we have something to give to the world that no one else does, Jesus and Jesus alone. An enemy that would like nothing more than to distract us from the main thing, the purpose of the gospel. We're in a fight. The Bible says over and over again, this is spiritual warfare, that we battle. So we as a church can't be a cruise ship. We're, we're a rescue ship. Cruise ships have programs and staff and activities, and rescue ships have programs and staff and activities, but the purpose and the mission is very different, isn't it? A rescue ship is all about going and reaching people and pulling them out of the icy waters of sin and death, just like we were in, and living missionally and on purpose. And so we must do the same. We have to be a rescue ship going to where people are, and bringing them in to a relationship with Jesus that saves them and pulls them out of the waters. 
Those of you with a, a military background, you remember writing, some of you who, who were officers remember writing battle plans. In officer training school, we had to write these and learn how to write them. And at the top of every single battle plan, even for chaplains, at the top of every single battle plan had to be what was known as the commander's intent. I see some heads nodding. You remember this. And it was drilled into us, and every single battle plan that we wrote, at the top of it had to be the commander's intent. And that is the purpose for the battle. When everything goes sideways, which it invariably will in the battle, here's what the purpose is. Here's what you can hold up. Because battles change, and plans sound good until you get hit in the mouth or until a bullet flies. And then everything changes, and you have to come back. You have to be willing to adapt to be able to accomplish the mission, the purpose, the intention of the commander. Because, because mission matters what? It matters most. Mission matters most. The commander, our commander's intention to carry the gospel into all of the world and to make disciples. And the gospel does both. It brings people in, it converts them, and it disciples them. It grows them up in Jesus. And so we have to fulfill our commander's intention. Let me, let me say it a different way as I close. Bottom line, and I hope this will be language that our church can build around and carry for years to come. Purpose over preference. That's the bottom line. The purpose has to come before our preferences. Purpose over preference. We must daily Daily choose God's purposes over our preferences so that, so that we can guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to us. To him alone be the glory today. Let's pray together. God, help us today to remember our purpose. The purpose that you've given to us to be a community a community of Christ followers that's bringing your gospel, your gospel renewal to our city and to our world. Help us to be very open-handed with the things that you want us to be open-handed with, our preferences and and forms and activities and programs. Help us to be open-handed and help us to be close-handed, close-fisted with the things that we need to hold tightly to and never let go of, your truth, your gospel. In all these things we pray today, God, more than anything else, that we would be faithful to your intention that you've given to us and that we would guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to us. We pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.